Well, good morning, church. My name is John Cronin. Welcome to Cyprus uh, Bible Church here. Uh, thank you for joining us both here in person and online, for those of you there online. Uh, we continue um, and actually conclude our study in 1 Corinthians this morning, and, and I would invite you uh, to read with me just a few of the truths that uh, we've covered since last September, just to, to stir your affections to what God might have uh, done through you in, the, in this series over these last several months. Your scriptures are going to be on the screen underlined, and uh, our leaders on the platform will uh, read the other scriptures. Please stand as you're able. And we'll read this together. But we preach Christ crucified. And because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? We are, we are not, not our own, but we were bought with a price, so we glorify God in our bodies. Amen. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called them. We will sing that truth of the, the life that God has called you to, the person you are in Christ this morning.
this morning's reading. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and for whom we exist. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures. Because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for their transgressions. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's try that again. I know it's not Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. But that is an everyday truth. Amen. Say 
Amen. Good morning, and uh, welcome to Cypress Bible Church. Uh, a joy to proclaim that truth. That's uh, been one of my favorite songs over the past 10 years. Uh, and we gather together to celebrate that Jesus is alive. The power of the resurrection is alive in his church today. And glad that you have joined us here as uh, we seek to become more like Jesus as we gather, uh, grow, and go in uh, mission for his kingdom. Uh, just want to bring a couple of things to your attention as uh, we continue to worship today. Uh, one is that if you uh, would like to connect with us, uh, we try to make that uh, easy as possible. If you have a question or uh, some way in which you want to reach out to us, there's a, a number to text, and uh, you can. We'll be responding to you as quickly as we can, as well as a uh, an email address. Uh, send a question. Just let us know that you're here, whether you're online or here in person. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we have been seeking to fill a trailer with food. That's uh, something we've done a number of times, and uh, this is to, uh, to uh, go to a ministry here in Cyprus to help those in need in our community. And uh, we have, I think, two more weeks of seeking to fill that trailer. So uh, there's information on that in the commons about what to bring and how to do that, and we encourage you to participate in that uh, uh, way of ministry. Uh, join me as I pray, please. Lord God, uh, we want our eyes to be on you as we come in here this morning and we recognize that there are all kinds of things that can keep us from that. And uh, there are concerns that are heavy on our hearts, there are distractions from work and family and concerns that we have about maybe finances or job or relationships. And Lord God, you are big enough, you are powerful enough. Your gospel is great enough to handle all of those burdens. Direct our focus to you this morning. Lift up the hands that hang down. Strengthen the weak knees. And Lord, may you encourage your people today, not simply with words, not simply with song, music, lyrics, but with yourself. Fill us with your spirit. Encourage us with the presence of your glorious risen Son, our Savior, and we pray this in His name. Amen. Please join me and stand as you're able. We continue our reading from uh, the, the climax of First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. Read this with me. But by grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not
this morning, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storms. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter. My all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he church that I pastored was in a resort community, and uh, the building was uh, really new, and they'd run out of money before they could finish everything that they wanted to finish. 
So one of those missing features was a steeple. And for the first year of my ministry there, every deacon meeting involved the steeple. We need to have a steeple. And um, during that year, we were able to begin some actual ministry in the community that never happened before, an evangelism program, and uh, started vacation Bible school, some other things. But the steeple was on every agenda. And at one of those meetings, one of the deacons said, if we don't have a steeple, no one in this community will know that we're a church. So we eventually got enough money together, bought a shiny fiberglass white steeple, had it shipped across the country, and erected with a crane on top of our building, And shockingly, this lovely fiberglass steeple did not result in crowds thronging to the church. And after a few weeks at a deacon's meeting, I said, I think we should have gotten a bigger steeple. None of them laughed. Clearly, nothing building-related is what characterizes a church. There are all kinds of different qualities and characteristics that mark a community of those who follow Jesus, and none of them are a building. Here we are at the end of our study of 1 Corinthians. We've spent 31 weeks on this letter written by Paul to the church that he planted in the Greek city of Corinth. And what he's doing throughout this letter, he's answering questions that they asked him in the letter that they sent. And uh, questions that he has uh, about them from things that he's heard from other people who have visited there and concerns and, and really correcting a lot of their misunderstandings. And this is the Word of God and it applies to us today as followers of Jesus in this community just as it did to the believers in Corinth so long ago. Well, this final chapter, chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, lists a number of practical issues. It would be easy to just brush these aside and not take them seriously, but when you look at them closely, you, you, you learn some important qualities that should be found in every community of believers. And for all of us who follow Jesus, there are things we should strive for here as a church, as an assembly of believers. Last week, as we began this last chapter, we saw the first two qualities of community. Giving was the first one. Very specific kind of giving or a way of giving. The second was helping. And it was very specific kind of helping for a very specific purpose. And I won't go into detail on those that we covered last week. Well, there are five more that I want to point out to you now in this last section. And I can show you how it's a section different set out from what precedes it because it's verse 12 and it starts with the words now concerning. And again, this is the Greek phrase peri day. And every time Paul has used this phrase, it seems he's answering a question that the Corinthians sent him. We don't have that letter, but we see his answer. So Paul's responding to a question in this last section. We're going to go through this verse by verse here and discover five more characteristics of community. 
for those who follow Jesus. Here's the first one. Self-effacing. And if that word is not familiar to you, let me correctly say it is not selfie-facing. That is the exact opposite of what this word means. Self-effacing might be not something that we use very often, but I think it accurately describes what the point here I want to share with you from verse 12. Now concerning, there it is, Perry Day. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. I've read 1 Corinthians many times. And it really wasn't until this week that the impact of what's happening here settled on me. And I more fully appreciated it. See, one of the problems, most of you are probably very aware of, one of the many problems in Corinth was, were the factions. That's where we started in this study. The division. There are groups in Corinth, in the church, who preferred one teacher over another teacher, who wanted to follow this guy instead of that guy. They had favorites. And so in chapter 1, Paul said, I heard about your quarreling with each other and that how some of you favor me and some of you prefer Peter and others of you admire Apollos. He specifically named them. And he said that's not how it should be. Because the message of the cross is far more important than personality. It's far more important than popularity or ability and skill. And you see, so Apollos had groupies in the church at Corinth. That's maybe a crass way to say it, but that's what it boiled down to. He had a group of people that were his fan club, and probably because of his oratorial skills. He was a good speaker. Paul had great content. Apollos had great delivery. Paul, not so good on delivery. Apollos, good on content. Better on delivery, I think. So he had people that said, we love Apollos. When's he coming back? That's in their letter. Please send Apollos. We're, we really want to hear him again. Your tapes, they're not so good. Paul says, I strongly urge them to visit. Do you see how wonderful that is? Paul's not threatened by the popularity of another leader. Not at all. That's humility. Self-effacing is the willingness to stay in the background and to put others before yourself. Paul's not worried about Apollos' popularity. He encouraged, strongly, Apollos to go to Corinth, and Apollos said no. Now, how do you tell the Apostle Paul no? Why would he do that? Because Apollos had no desire to encourage the pro-Apollos group to stir up factions again. He's not going to visit until he knows that's not going to be a problem. And as I sorted that through in my mind, my admiration for these two men went through the roof. Paul trusts Apollos enough to ask him to visit the place where his admirers caused trouble. And Apollos wisely and considerately declines. See, the work is bigger than the ego's of leaders. At least it should be. We don't do that very well in the United States of American church. But that's a mark of community. As Philippians 2.3 says, when you do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility you consider others better than yourselves. And that can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
when your eyes are focused on the gospel. It can only happen by those who have been transformed by the grace of God in Christ. And so when you see leaders be self-effacing, when you see those in your grow group, those that you're connected with in ministry, be self-effacing, that is real community. Second, loving. Verse 13 and 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. What we have here are five imperatives, five commands, just a barrage of this is what needs to happen. And they're connected, I believe, to all the issues that the church had faced. This is a summary of Paul going at them for what needs to occur. Five imperatives. Let's look at them quickly, each one. Be watchful. Gregoreo is the Greek word. Stay awake, be alert. Why? Well, in Corinth and in Greco-Roman society, there are temptations everywhere. There are threats to the faith everywhere. Remember, they lived in a culture that explicitly said in practice that sex was no big deal no matter what you did, how you did it, with whom you did it. It was like... what. Eating food when you're hungry. There's nothing moral attached to it. That was what their society said. It's just a bodily function. And so the Corinthian Christians needed to be alert to falling into immorality, which is something that Paul addressed in the letter. They had fallen into it. He said, watch out. That's one issue to watch out for. There were many, including the fact that the pagan temples in Corinth, what were they? They were basically restaurants where you went to eat. They had theater, dinner and a show. And so the challenge was to go into a pagan temple and mingle in that atmosphere and culture, in a sense supporting pagan religions, uh, that was dangerous. You need to watch out for idolatry. Be alert for idolatry. And there are a number of other issues as well. But be watchful. The second characteristic is to stand firm in faith see in corinth just like in cyprus texas the truth of the gospel is going to be challenged the content of belief that determines what it is to be a christian is going to be questioned it's going to be watered down it's watered down in our society it's watered down in churches uh it's watered down in all kinds of ways it's attacked in all kinds of ways and and so you must hold on to the gospel Paul's saying, the, the facts of the faith, the reality of the gospel, you need to hold on to that stand firm in it. As Jude 1 says, I urge you to defend the faith. That's the call. Third imperative is to act like men. And if anything ever sounded sexist, that does. And guess what? I think it's worse than that. Remember, some of the Corinthian gods that were worshipped in that city and in the Roman Empire, blurred gender lines. That's what basically they stood for. So you had the worship of Dionysus and Aphrodite and Hermaphroditus, uh, among others, had these gender-bending qualities that had slipped into Christian worship. And Paul addressed that back in chapter 11. And he rebuked those practices and challenged the church to preserve gender distinctions and to avoid worship distortions. That's what was happening. And, and the biggest issue was this, the, these 
effeminate kind of characteristics that men were displaying, that Paul addressed. And so I believe that this imperative is aimed at men who were acting like women. He's not telling women to act like men. He's addressing a very specific issue here. The fourth imperative is to be strong. Why? Because you're under immense cultural pressure not to live like Jesus. You were in Corinth, you are in Cyprus. Pressure not to live like Jesus. So you're going to be tested and ridiculed and marginalized and attacked. And so hang tough. Be resilient. Now you look at those four commands. And uh, some Christians are going to get really inspired by that. And they're going to say, we need to be militant. We need to be angry and confrontational. We need to defend the faith, and you know what I mean by that. So, let me get a little specific. Here are four angry pastors. I'm just going to mention two of them, and not even some of the more shocking things that they do. But Tennessee pastor Greg Locke, who has a frightening understanding of what spiritual warfare means. And I think a very unbiblical view of what it means to defend the faith. Or Texas pastor Brandon Burden, who claimed to have an executive order from the CEO of heaven, and by it called the church to keep our guns loaded and ensure the right people stay in office. But you see, these four imperatives are guided by the fifth. This fifth one is what, how you carry out those imperatives. Let all be done in love. Grammatically, this is set apart from the other four. Thematically, this is what guards the other four, governs them. Yes, we're in a culture that pulls us away from Christ. We're surrounded by all kinds of conflicting belief systems and competing agendas and even great disagreements among those who claim to follow Christ. So the overarching response has to be love. This can't be dropped, forgotten, ignored. This has to be primary. A community of God's people will be marked by love. Steeple or no steeple. Yes, stand firm, but in love. Yes, be strong, but in love. Yes, contend for the faith, but in love. In this day of angry social media posts and Facebook rants and public confrontations caught on video, let us represent Jesus well, characterized by love. The third characteristic is appreciating. Beginning in verse 15, you know that Stephanus and his household were the first to become Christians in Greece, and they are spending their lives in service to other Christians. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to respect them fully and others like them who serve with such real devotion. I'm so glad that Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus have come here. They've been making up for the help you weren't here to give me. They have been a wonderful encouragement to me as they have been to you. You must give proper honor to all who serve so well. So Paul explicitly names these 
early converts. And he describes them, if you look at the language, as addicted to serving. Addicted to serving others, not themselves. In fact, another, when he talks about laboring, it's a word that means to work to the point of exhaustion. They're just giving and giving and giving of themselves to the church. And Paul holds them up as an example to all the church. He says, here are some people who are really serving. You might not even notice how hard they're working, but they're doing so much. And, and, and this is really how God calls us to live. And, I, and so I encourage you, Paul says, I, I want you to recognize them, respect them, appreciate them, and, and emulate them as well. See, that was the opposite of how the pagan religions worked. Selfless service was not part of any pagan religious practice or understanding. Instead, those religions were all very self-focused. Christ followers are to be about benefiting others in Jesus' name. And, and to recognize those who give humble, generous service is the hallmark of community. You want to mark out a community of believers? That kind of selfless service to, to the saints is one of those. And we need to appreciate the number of behind-the-scenes ministry in a church like ours is enormous. And, and the truth is, I probably don't know but a fraction of what goes on behind the scenes and what people do in, in selfless ministry. Whether it's visiting the sick or feeding the hungry or comforting the grieving or sending notes and gifts of encouragement and preparing meals and making repairs, giving of your time because of Jesus to the saints. Those who serve well are greatly appreciated. Uh, and a real community of faith doesn't simply honor the leaders. It doesn't simply honor those who seem to be out front. It recognizes and respects all who serve with devotion. It's a mark of community. Fourth, connecting. Verse 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. By the way, this greeting, we're not going to pass this by because as one scholar says, greeting in the New Testament is a literary form that proved the bond of friendship. This has very deep intention here. And I want you to notice how Paul moves from the global all the way to the personal in his greeting. He passes along greetings from churches and workers around the continent. Paul is not myopically focused on one congregation. He sees the bigger church as one in Christ, one body that grew and grew through the Roman Empire and beyond and today circles the globe, unless you're a flat earther and whatever, circle something. Now, as an independent Bible church, it could be easy for us to be insular. I mean, the truth is we have sister churches. We have daughter churches. We have a, a, a church that gave us birth some 45 years ago. We have relationships with pastors in the community and churches in the community and around the world, and, and that can't, there can't be enough of that. There needs to be more than we have, actually. A number of years ago now, our elders recognized the need to have some 
churches, some elder boards, some leaders able to hold us accountable, able to appeal to in our time of need, outside of us, not connected to us. And so uh, I was tasked with connecting specific congregations and elder boards and uh, Christian leaders and asking them if they would officially stand in the gap for us when there was a time of need, assuring them that there wasn't at this point in time. And a number of those elder boards and churches and leaders agreed that they would offer counsel or mediation, advice in a time of crisis, outside observing force. That's connectivity that's needed in a a global way. See, the church of Jesus Christ is, is bigger than us. The church of Jesus Christ is bigger than Texas even. Amazing. We need to connect globally. But Paul's also very individual and personal. He picks up his pen. Do you notice there at the end? He picks up the pen from the guy who's been writing, his Amadeus, his, his, his scribe, and scrawls his big signature that says, you know, here, personally, I'm letting you know that this is part of it. He's greeting them in that way. And he also calls on the believers in Corinth to, to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, we, uh, for 10 years, we had the privilege of serving a church in Toronto that was really multi-ethnic, There were even some Americans there, but there were people from around the world. And some of those believers from other countries, they had practices in their church that they brought into the church in Canada. And one of those was to to greet other believers with a kiss on each side of their face. And that was something that, for most of us, was a remarkably warm and, and welcoming practice that we took on and encouraged that made a few people really, really grumpy, but that was just, it, w- it was a neat thing. What, what, what's happening here? Do you understand that the holy kiss is mentioned five times in the New Testament? It's not like a once-off. Five times. And uh, William Clawson wrote, a, wrote an extended study about the sacred kiss, and he discovered that it wasn't a cultural practice. So this isn't cultural. He discovered that this did not occur at all in Corinthian society. This did not occur at all in any Greco-Roman society in that time period. This was distinctly Christian. Why? It was an outward sign that people of different backgrounds, nationality, and gender, and economic status were joined together as a new family in Christ. Because the church was made up of all kinds of different people in Corinth, as well it should be, and as they greeted one another with a holy kiss, a sacred kiss. This identified, we're family, even though we're so different. Don Carson says that the church is a band of natural enemies. I like that. The church is a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Yeah, we're different. Different opinions, if nothing else. And we're drawn together by the love of Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm not going to stand at the door and kiss everybody who leaves today, so f- please don't freak out. I don't know what this looks like, in, especially in the age of COVID-19. But a real community connects globally and personally with great affection. That's community. Fifth, expecting. Verse 22. 
If anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. Our Lord, come. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Does that sound harsh, that whole curse thing? The reality is that no one can love God who has not first known the love of God. As 1 John 4.10 says, He loved us first and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. He loved us first. Jesus becoming man, dying a bloody death in our place on the cross, being buried, raised to life on the third day. That's the ultimate proof of God's love, Romans 5.8. And only those who receive that gift of God are saved. Only those who trust in Jesus alone are promised that nothing can separate them from the love of God. And it's not religion, it's not good works, it's not moral living that saves you. It's when you know the love of God in Christ has rescued you from sin and death, guilt and shame by his bloody sacrifice and glorious resurrection. And when you've received that love, it's in gratitude that you love in return. You reflect that love. You express that love in worship. You express that love in service of the saints. You express that love in sharing the gospel. You express that love in obedience to God and his commands. You express that love in love to others. And if you have not received that love, the curse is not reversed. Only in Jesus is the curse reversed. And without that love, Eternal separation from God awaits. That's what Paul is saying here. And the return of Jesus is a horrifying day of judgment for those who do not love him. But for those of us who know Christ, we long for that day. We live expecting that day. Because it's a day of liberation. It's a day of resurrection. It's a day of full joy. And so Paul says, anathema to those who don't believe. Maranatha to the rest of us. Our Lord, come. And so those seven characteristics are ones which I just want to ask you, what can you do today to increase community among the saints? What can you do today? Which of those, how many of those do you say, I need to invest more in this area in my life for the glory of God and for the beauty of his church? As I tell you, right now, we live in frustration. We live in a broken world. And if you don't see evidence of that every single day of your life, you're not looking very hard. All of creation, the Bible says, is enslaved to decay. Not very encouraging, is it? Even our own bodies deteriorate day after day. Mine is sliding downhill quickly. But Jesus is coming. And in that day, justice will roll like a river. Glory will be revealed. New bodies resurrected. Eternal joy unleashed. We will be finally fully free. And as a community of God's people, we wait and live with eager expectation. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege and promise that you give to us. 
that we do not live hopelessly in this world, but we live gloriously with anticipation because we have the promise of your power among us. That even in a broken world, you have made us whole new creations in Jesus. Shine your light through us as a community of your people. Invigorate us by the power of your Spirit. For your glory alone we pray. Amen. we take this moment to respond to that word, I would invite you to stand and sing with us in response. Gift of praise is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this
this benediction from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. Praises rising, eyes are turning to you. We turn to you.